I'd like to welcome you to the ministry of McCormick's Creek Church. We certainly hope that you will enjoy this selection. If it wasn't for Jesus, where would you be? Come on, Brother Tony, if it wasn't for Jesus, where would you be? My Lord, if it wasn't for Him, where would we be this morning? His grace and His mercy is so amazing. It's so wonderful. It's so excellent. We love the Lord so very much in this place. If you're a visitor here, we thank you so much for being with us this morning. We hope you don't stay a visitor. We want you to be here all the time. All, for all those that are faithful to the house of God, thank you. We love and appreciate saints who are faithful, saints who come, saints who pray. Anybody's prayer life changed this week? Anybody, anybody get a little, little closer to Jesus this week? Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. All right. Well, if you could open your Bibles to Luke chapter 17, verse 26 through 36. We're going to be reading a little bit of lengthy scripture. Excuse me for that, but... Luke chapter 17, verse 26 through 36. And Scripture says, And as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it also be in the days of the Son of Man. They did eat, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark, and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, also, as it was in the days of Lot, they did eat, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built it. Notice there's a little bit of difference between what the days of Noah look like and the days of Lot look like. On the days of Lot, there's this list. They ate, they drank, they bought, they sold. Think about it for a minute. They planted, they built it. This is a laundry list of things they had to do. Normality in life. A little bit different. But the same day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even thus shall it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. In that day, he which shall be upon the housetop and his stuff in the house, let him not come down to take it away. Key word. There's stuff in the house. Don't worry about it. It's not that important. And he that is in the field, let him likewise not return back. Remember Lot's wife. Whosoever shall seek to save his life shall lose it, and whosoever shall lose his life shall preserve it. I tell you, in that night there shall be two men in one bed, and the one shall be taken, and the other shall be left. And two women shall be grinding together, the one shall be taken, and the other left. And two men shall be in the field, and one shall be taken and the other left. In Jesus' name, um, let's, let's just pray and ask God to let the Word of God come into our hearts this morning. It is, it is more important that the Word of God comes into our heart and produces something in our life than simply someone just teaching or preaching, and yeah, that was good, and let's go home. There is something about the Word of God that needs to enter my life, and when it enters my life, then something can be produced out of that. So let's pray this morning that the word of God will produce fruit in our life that is good. In Jesus' name, we love you and we thank you, God. We ask you right now that the word of the Lord Jesus go forth, 
Let it be your will, God. Let me be an oracle unto you, Jesus. I pray, Lord, right now, whatever your voice has for us this morning, whatever your word has, God, let it enter our hearts, Jesus. Lord, prepare us, Lord, to receive God. Plant it in our lives. Plant it in our hearts, Lord. Let us be what you have desired us to be, God. We give you honor and praise in the name of Jesus. And could you just clap your hands one more time? Hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. You may be seated in Jesus' name. People today have things that those a few decades ago would only have dreamed of. Multiple cars in the garage, larger homes, gadgets for entertainment. Not sure I don't... If you walk down on any street or you go to any amusement park, there's one thing that you see more than anything. Everybody's got a cell phone stuck in their hand. It's impossible to live without it. Um, The marketing group has told you that, and we've bought into it and believed it. For those few rare souls who don't have a cell phone, God bless you. But there's exotic appliances, all sorts of things. Did you know that they sell a coffee maker that makes one cup of coffee? It's named a Keurig. I have one. Got it for Christmas. Makes one cup of coffee, costs $175. Praise God. And we buy it. And we justify, and I don't understand this, the $5 coffee maker at Walmart makes 10 cups of coffee. And it's $5. And the bag of coffee that you buy, exactly. But you can, you can buy a bag of coffee for, for, you know, or if you're Floyd, you can buy a bucket of Folgers for, because <laughs> he, don't, he don't like the good stuff. If he drinks it, it better be Folgers and it better be black. That's just the way it is. But, uh, you know, you can buy this big thing for $11 of Folgers and you can buy a $5 coffee maker and you can have coffee for an entire month. Or you can buy a Keurig for $175 and the little $12 for 12 individual packets of coffee and have 12 cups of coffee for about $187. Spend and repeat for coffee. I don't understand how we've got to this place in society that we can justify that. I just don't know. I uh, I don't know. Thank God for Christmas that I got it on that, and I don't use the $12 things. I think it's a waste of money, so I go buy the bag, and we use it that way. So, But uh, not only do we have gadgets for entertainment and exotic appliances, but we also have huge wardrobes, so much so our closets cannot even hold our clothes that we have to have yard sales on a yearly basis just to get rid of all the stuff that we don't wear. I'm sure you have that suit in your closet that you don't wear. I know I have a few. They just sit there. Um, but family And families in today's society don't just eat out on special occasions, but often several times a week. Now, me and my family, we're, we're broke. We're poor. We, don't, we go out for special occasions, and uh, when they give me that $50 bill, I about croak. I think, feeding people for $50? Last night, I bought one large pizza and fed six people. 
I told him, you get a piece. Don't eat any more. I'm just kidding. I actually ate a piece and let Jamin eat three of the little. Man, he's something. He can eat. But anyway, we go out several times a week, spend, spend hundreds of dollars a month. If you were to tally up your fast food bill and your out-to-eat bill, you would probably be able to save yourself about $1,000 a month. You wonder why you can't make your electric bill. Well, I won't go there, but there's a reason. Um, so this increase in affluence has not been accompanied by an increase in satisfaction and happiness, though. So, so what am I saying? The more we have, it doesn't mean the more we're happy. We're, we're not happier. The more we're happy, that's not correct language, but happier. We're not happier, so, but, but it's our aspiration or our dream somehow that if I can in some way acquire things, then I will be happier. I love my brother-in-law. I like to pick on him. He has his projector in his house, and he is not happy until it is exactly at the brightness that he wants it to be. And, and, he, and he'll fuss over that thing and fuss over that thing because he, he has a specific ideal in his mind of what it should look like. He just can't quite get it there. His poor wife has beat him over the head multiple times saying, why do you keep messing up my wall? But regardless, he has this idea of what it should be like and he's going to get there. But we in our lives have this idea that we need to have this great home and these great cars and, and we need to have every new gadget that comes out. Every time a new iPhone's released, well, it doesn't matter if my contract's up or not, I'm going to go get it. Uh, and we'll, we'll find money somewhere. We're broke all year until that iPhone comes out. Somehow, $600 magically appears. It doesn't matter if we sold one of our children or not. It somehow... Get I'm, I'm sure some of us would probably sell one of our children in replace of an iPhone. That's where we're at. But compared with, our, with where our grandparents were, today's young people have grown up with much more affluence and slightly less happiness and much greater risk of depression and assorted social pathology. You tell me how in the world more stuff makes you depressed. More stuff makes you depressed. Why? You never have enough. You never have enough. Went went on a motorcycle ride with Eldar and Jamie yesterday, and he's bragging about how great his motorcycle is and how, how mine's just this horrible piece of junk. And I, you need to wash that thing, young man. I'm playing it up here. He really didn't say that. She did. <laughs> and I'm not playing there. She was horrible. And, 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 you know, but, but the thing of the matter, the thing of the, uh, the, the truth of the matter is, is that, that the more we have or the greater we have it, it's still not enough in today's society. You know, new houses or whatever it may be, it's just not ever going to make you happy. And the truth is, is because happiness doesn't come from materialistic things. Happiness cannot be bought. It is, it is unpurchasable. You may, you may experience the feeling of happiness when you buy a brand new Camaro. Woo! And you may get a lot of enjoyment out of driving up to your family's houses in that Camaro. 
And it may be all right, you know, but the truth is, is it doesn't last because as soon as the other friend buys the brand new or the newer one, your happiness diminishes. Why? Because it's not the newest and it's not the best. And in today's society, you can never have the newest. It is impossible because there is just one thing that comes out after another. I remember talking with uh, my brother-in-law, John, and saying, you know, at one point we were um, wondering what tablet is the best tablet out there right now. And he told me, and I remember keeping it in my mind for about a month or two. And I revisited him about two months later and I said, so this is the one. You know, I finally had saved the money. This is the one that, that's the best. He's like, no. Really? You t- but, well, there's been about 14 others came out since then. So, so the truth is, is you can never, you can never stay on, on the, the cutting edge of, of what's out there. You can never have the best. So why do we put that pressure on ourselves in today's society? Why is it important? It shouldn't be. Um, frequently, the consequences of this phenomenon are, are disastrous, as Credit card balances explode and parents work overtime and take extra jobs to pay for all the possessions. Family and church time fall by the wayside in order to purchase, play with, maintain, and pay for all the new goods. I I don't know about you, but I know any kid in his right mind would rather spend time with mom and dad than mom and dad spend time at work and buy them stuff. I guarantee you that any child would rather spend time with with mom and dad than to have things. Things do not replace relationships. And some of the greatest times and the the happiest times you're going to have in your life is when you have built relationships with your children and you watch them succeed in life. Because I'll tell you what, one day when they turn 20 and they're th- or 30 years old and you're looking at them going, why are they struggling? Why are they having a hard time? Think back to where you were. Did I spend the time that was necessary with my kids? Or did I just justify and say, well, I, ha- I bought you this. You had, the latest, uh, you had the latest Xbox. You had the latest games. You had the latest iPhone. Family is way more important than possession. Church is way more important than possession. At, at any point when you are uh, justifying, what let your children will watch you. And when you justify not coming to the house of God in order to do something else, and later in life you wonder why they are not coming to church and they're doing something else. You teach them in everything you do. Many psychologists believe that motivation behind consumerism is driven by feelings of insecurity. Marketing techniques are developed that focus on the desire to be prettier, healthier, have better uh, relationships, and be part of the mainstream, all by spending more and acquiring more. There is debate as to whether materialism produces discontent or discontent creates the drive for materialism. In reality, it appears to be a vicious cycle that never ends unless someone is able to completely step outside of it and evaluate the things in life that have eternal value. 
I talked with a friend yesterday. He moved from Ohio. He's a college prof- he was a college professor in Ohio. He moved down to Texas, and, and the deal that was going on with his house, he, he got there, and, I mean, it just blew up in his face. He had to move him and his wife. His wife is pregnant, and he had to move them in with friends. They have been there for three weeks. They, the moving company had charged him over $3,000 to simply store their stuff because they had no place to put it. And he, and he told me yesterday, he said, you know what's funny? He said, I don't even miss it. I don't even miss all that stuff that I've acquired. I don't even miss it. I said, it's funny what you can live without, isn't it? It's funny what you don't have to have. It really is. The truth is, is we've just bought, up, bought into this, that, that I must have this and I must have that. And, and I need to have a great job if I'm going to get all the things that make me happy in life. But the problem is, is it doesn't make you happy. Uh, to be honest, I'll tell you what, people who don't have anything are happier than people who have everything. Look, look at what Hollywood, Hollywood produces. You're, you're talking about people who are millionaires and all they can do is party, get arrested, commit suicide, divorce... It's impossible for them to be happy. Why? Because if that doesn't prove it, materialistic things do not produce happiness. It's impossible. It'd be like a banana tree trying to produce oranges. It just won't work. And we see it for what it is, and somehow we still want to strive for it. Why? Because it's what is in us. The famous German, uh, the famous German poet Goeth said... The things that matter most should never be at the mercy of the things that matter least. The things that matter most should never be at the mercy of the things that matter least. Because we live in a physical world, our primary focus is naturally on the physical. Although in 2 Corinthians 4.18, Paul said we should look at the things that are not seen and not at things that are seen. What does that mean? I need to look up. I need to look at things that I may not see. Uh, There's angels all around. I want to look at heaven because heaven's where I want to be. I don't need to necessarily look at all the possession that I can see. Neither should I base my life on the things that I can see. But for some reason, we often do the opposite. Paul went on to say that the things seen are temporal and the things not seen are eternal. A vision... Limited to temporal things causes individuals to be more materialistic. For this reason, another predominant attitude of the age is materialism. We are materialistic people. We want our children to have lots of things. But I'm going to tell you something. Recently, this, this Christmas, and my wife is, was really, really good. She's really good about this, but this last Christmas, I, I'm, I personally feel... Like, I want to give my kids things because there wasn't a ton of stuff that I got when I was a kid. So I don't want them to necessarily be without. Now, I was fine and I had plenty. But I want them to have more. I want them to, to have excess. I want them to feel like, that, like they are loved. So, so I'll go out of my way to make sure they have stuff. So this last Christmas, I went out of my way and I sold some stuff um, to get some extra money. 
and, and bought them some really neat things. I bought Jamin this, this sweet robotic dinosaur. It's like that big. has a remote control. You can do all kinds of cool stuff. The package said so. You know? And we also bought them this little $5 pack of cards. Little Pokemon cards. And guess which he plays with more? The Pokemon cards. And that 80-something dollar dinosaur that I justified would make him happy sits in his room and doesn't get played with. Why? Because the truth is, is that kids are so used to receiving things that it's not a big deal. So here's my proposal. Cut it all off and make them beg for it. And when they're on their hands and they're on their knees saying, Daddy, please, I I want this, then say, okay, and let them appreciate what they have. Because the truth is, is appreciation. Do you want your children to grow up and not appreciate the value of what it it is? It's more... uh, (laughs) I have so many stories this morning. They just keep coming to me. I think it was funny. Um, I'm going to pick on my nephew for a minute. I love my nephew Lee. He's he's awesome kid. Um, he bought a four dollar bag of barbecue chips and milk. I think I mentioned something about this, but but I used it this week and and I went and I tried to steal some from him. And I got a little handful of chips and I took his or his pop. It was I think it was a pop and I grabbed it and I opened it and I drank it. And he's like, Hey, I paid for that with my own money. And I said, Welcome to my world. Every time you come over, <laughs> I paid for it too. And uh, this week, he, he decided that he was going to see, as boys do, what it was like to see this, this little Jeep thing that I bought for kids that they push each other around in, what it would be like if he threw it down a hill end over end. I would have probably done the same thing at his age. The truth is, you're just curious and wonder what it is. Of course, he got in lots of trouble for it. Um, but at the end of it, I said, I said, Lee, I said, don't you understand? That cost me almost $100. And he's like, what's, what's that? You know, I was like, well, do you remember those barbecue chips that you had? He said, Yeah. I said, do you remember the money you got for those things? He said, yeah. I said, do you remember how I stole them? He said, yeah. I said, you paid for them, right? He said, yeah. I said, did you like it when I took your stuff? He said, no. And I said, well, when other people buy stuff, it, 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 you need to respect it like you would respect your own stuff. But... The truth is, is that we just, our kids, they have so much stuff, it is hard for them to, to respect what they have or to understand that it costs a lot of money. And um, so the truth is, is there's life lessons that are a whole lot more important that we should be teaching them because that will produce happiness. When they can look at their object or whatever it may be and they can say, Man, I I really want that. I'm going to take care of that. I'm going to respect that. I'm going to treat it right. Then you know that later in life they're going to be happy. Why? 
Because they're going to take care of what they have. So believers should resist focusing on the temporal. We are to focus on the things not seen, the eternal. Only eternal things are lasting things. By focusing on the things we cannot see, we attach our heart to spiritual values. While endeavoring to resist the world's materialistic influence, we must not lose our love for materialistic people in the world. We are not to love the world or the things in the world, but we are to love people. And God loves the lost, and we are called to love them also. John 3.16, For God so loved the world, that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. There, there's something that needs to change in our perception. We need not to worry about the materialistic things that are in our lives or the possessions that we can acquire, but we need to somehow shift our focus onto people who are lost and dying and they have no hope. There ought to be something that's produced out of me that says, I love you no matter how you are. It don't matter what you look like. It don't matter what you're involved in, but I'm a child of God. And because of the love between me and Him, I love you. Hallelujah. If we could shift somehow our love, if we could shift somehow our love from stuff to people, stuff to people. Oh, it's so easy though, isn't it? It is so easy just to not like people. I'm, not, I'm being honest. Sister Krause said it this morning. I hate you, Jake. From the platform. It is, it is easy to get offended by people. It is easy to be hurt by people. By the way, thank you for the comments on Facebook. But it's really difficult to love them when you want to hate them. Or when they've done something to you that, is, that just grinds at you. To love them anyway. The reason it's so difficult is because we have become materialistic. We have become to the point where we can just get rid of whatever we don't want and buy whatever we do. But that is anti-Christian. This brother up here does something to make me mad. Not often. Never. Not often. But if he does something, biblically it is my job to restore that relationship with him. Biblically, I am to come to him and say, hey, here's what's going on. Here's how I feel. Let's get right. Amen. Amen. Why? Because if I am in a church and I simply replace him with whatever, then now I have caused disunity. The Bible says, mark them that cause division among you and avoid them. It is my job as a Christian to establish relationships with people and show them love. To let them understand how, how God loves them. How I lo Your life should be... I can't use you. Your life should somehow show God's love in every aspect. When you walk into the house of God, there ought to be a beam on your face. 
There, there ought to be something just, hello, world. Remember when my the pre-children, my wife, used to wake up in the morning. Hi. Oh, what a beautiful day. And I woke up. Shut up. You are annoying. Leave me alone. I'm going back to bed. And then post-children, I wake up. Oh, it's a beautiful day. And she says, shut up. <laughs> you know? It's just the way it is. It, it is... We change as we grow in Christ. We change as as we grow in in what God wants us to be. And so we get into church. How many of you remember when you first received the Holy Ghost? I mean, how amazing was that? You, You were on cloud nine. I mean, you were up there. There wasn't nothing that could touch you. It didn't matter what people said to you. I mean, somebody could have walked up, punched you in the face, and you'd have been like, I love you. You're my best friend. You, you would have. So what changes from the point of receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost to right now? Because somebody punched you in the face right now, you're going to tackle them, and you're going to make sure that they do not get up. I, that's, see, it's Tony. He says it. He admits it. You know? See, I'm preaching where we're at today, all right? <laughs> I'm getting down on home base here. <laughs> the truth is, is that there's something changed because the Holy Ghost had a huge effect on us. But somehow we have withdrawn ourselves away from the gift of what God has won. We have drawn ourselves away from what happiness truly is. We've drawn ourselves away from what God wants to give us. And we've tried to buy and replace our happiness. But I'm here to tell you this morning, it doesn't matter what you buy or how much money you make. There is nothing that will make you happier than Jesus Christ. He is the first and the last. He is He is your Savior, your Deliverer, your Healer. There is no one or anything that can make you happier than Him. So why do we stay in this this kind of mentality? There ought to be something in our hearts that says, well, if this is what makes me happy, if, it, if He's what makes me happy, then I want to get to know Him more. I want a refilling of the Holy Ghost like when I first had it. I want to return to my first love. I want to make sure I'm right with Him. Why? Because I want to love people. Notice three hand claps happened when I said that. It is so difficult for us to love. It is so difficult for us, us to love. I was remembering I was remembering an older gentleman, and his name is slipping my mind. Sister Krista, maybe you can help me. Real tall guy, sat in the back, glasses. Um, Brother Helms, Homer Helms. Man, I love that guy. I love Brother Homer Helms. I I don't know if he helped you the way he helped me, but I'd walk down into the basement to pray on a Sunday night. He'd already be there. He'd just be praying his heart out, and he'd walk over to me, and he'd say, you're going to be a great man one day. You're going to do good things. He didn't know me from anything, 
But he encouraged me and he loved me when at a point in my life that I was very uncomfortable and I was very insecure about who I was or where I was going. He had faith in me. It was people like that that will project you on in your life. But that's how we're supposed to be too. We should not be looking for those people to project us on, but we should be going, buddy, you're going to do better than you ever thought you could. You're going to be greater than you ever thought you could. We ought to be walking into church with some kind of a great attitude in our spirit, saying, you know what? That's the best music I've ever heard. It's the best preaching I've ever heard. Not when I'm up here, but when the other guys are. Something in us has got to change. We have got to get out of a mentality of materialistic things. It will not buy you what you're looking for. I, I would dare you to, to just go on a fast. Say, I'm not going to buy anything that is not needed. And see how happy your family becomes. I just dare you. See how happy you are when... You are not just simply buying things to try to buy that happiness. It's temporal. It doesn't last. My God. The magnetic pull of materialism endangered Lot and his family in Sodom. Surrounded by the sinful influences of Sodom, they refused to separate themselves from the perverse evil attitudes. By living in the midst of iniquity, iniquity affected them. I would challenge you this morning, what influences you on a weekly basis? What, what changes your attitude on a weekly basis? I know my son, he, we had, to, we had to, to, to pull him away. He likes to, uh, he liked to watch X-Men and, and, and a lot of the, the cool, awesome, wonderful comic books that Jake likes. He liked to watch those uh, shows and he liked Hulk and Thor and and all that stuff and and I like it too but but somehow it affected him and and as he was watching there was so much violence even though it was just a cartoon that he began to act out in those violent manners and we had to say I'm sorry buddy but but that's not good for you that's not going to get you where anywhere in life so so I gotta I gotta cut that off and and I don't want you to to watch it anymore some people would say. Man, you're mean. Man, that's horrible. No. He's going to be a good kid because I took the influence in his life that would have been negative and cut it out. And, and we need to do the same things. We need to look at our life and evaluate what, what makes us more spiritual and what makes us more carnal. And if it is making us more carnal, we need to flush it down the toilet. We need to get rid of it. We need to cut it off. We need to say, you know what? That ain't helping me go that way, so I'm going to stop. But iniquity affected Lot and his family. And as a result, Lot's family became victims of evil influences. And the only thing that saved any of them was the urgent insistence of the angels that literally pulled them from the city prior to its destruction. God help us if we're ever in that situation that God has to send us angels or send us people to literally pull us out of where we are. Does it matter that much? Does, does my possessions matter that much that I can't listen to the voice of God? 
Does what I have matter that much? Am I not willing to give it up? If there's honestly things in your life that you're unwilling to, to give up, then those are the first things that ought to go. Because if it has that kind of hold on you, you're never going to be able to connect to Him in the way that you want. After all this, still Lot's wife looked back and became an internal monument to the destruction of sinful influences. Materialism is a spiritual uh, malady, and it has the same kind of influence on people. Thankfully, there is an antidote for the evils of this world, including materialism. But if you could ever love what God loves, if you could ever set your eyes on what God sets His eyes on, If you could ever see the world the way that God sees the world. He does not look at the world from from all all the different things that are in it, but the world to Him is people. It is people. He created a world for people. He created... He created us in His image. Why? Because He wants to have a relationship with us. It wasn't about what we could build or or what we could make or what we could possess or what we could have. But God has always been about people. He came down all the way from heaven, put Himself on a cross, died. Why? For people. He wants us. He desires us. And if we can ever love people the way that He loves people, we could ever stop loving the silly things in life. Ever just, just I don't want that stuff anymore. I, I'm willing to, to sacrifice it all for you. I, I feel like there's, there, there, there's some block in mentality in, in the United States as to why we can't reach people. Why we have such a hard time. How many in here feel very comfortable walking in random places and just saying, hey, God loves you? It's not a comfort level, is it? It's not something you feel, you know, real comfortable. Now, when you first got the Holy Ghost, dude, you'd yell it from a rooftop. You'd stand as high as you could and let people know that. Why? Because you were in love with Him more than you were in love with stuff. There is something that has to change in the church today. You look at our missionaries in the United Pentecostal Church. You look at everything that we affect in this world. We, are, we have schools all over this place. We have, we, 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 we have all kinds of programs. We have missionaries going to all kinds, 201 countries, I believe. The United Pentecostal Church has that. And they give up everything to go. And they live in not the greatest conditions. And then those same missionaries have to come back and tour around the United States to raise money so they can go back to something that's uncomfortable. God help us because we're comfortable and we're okay and everything's going great. And a good day is waking up and drinking some some coffee and, and, and watching my favorite show and visiting with my friends and not one thing ever had to do with God. That's what we consider a good day today. We have got to reposition our thinking. We have got to re uh we have to change who we are, uh so to speak, and what we love. If we can somehow love God, if we can somehow get to a point where we are falling we are falling passionately in love with him again. 
At that point, you're going to see something change in the church. When we discover a Christian passion for the lost, we will share our resources, we will establish relationships, we will evangelize the lost and disciple other believers. Such godly passion will lead us to build a better community. Not just better houses or bigger houses or, or, or the next cell phone or, or, or whatever it may be, the next great car. I, I want you just to, I know I'm hitting home this morning, but I want you to think about how much money you make and how much money you spend. And I would tell you that in today's society, no matter how much money you make, you will spend it and somehow end up in debt. Why? Because we think we need more than what we really do. We don't need all of these great things. We don't. What we need is Jesus. The Bible says, seek ye first the kingdom of God. That means the first priority in my life, not in my day, but in my life, should be seeking God. What is His will for me today? Who can I reach today? Who can I somehow get a hold of and let, let them know that God loves them? That God is, God is passionately in love with them. That He loved them so much, He wants to forgive their sin. Now how many of us in here, you've walked around with sin in your life before? Uh, be honest with me. The Bible says all of sin. We've all fallen short. How many of you like that burden? How many of you have had a person come to you and somehow pray for you and that burden lifted and it changed and it made you feel better? How many people are walking on our streets right now with burden of sin in their lives? And we're worried about the next phone. We're worried about what, what kind of car we're going to drive. We're worried about what, what we can possess and they have a burden of sin on their lives. Somehow the church has got to wake up and they've got to say, that burden of sin is more important than anything else in my life. If I can somehow pray for them, if I can somehow touch them, if they can somehow experience Jesus uh, the way that I've experienced Jesus, uh, then, th then their life is going to change. Oh, come on, give them a hand clap of praise this morning. Come on, he's worthy. He deserves it. Somehow, some way, we've got to change our mentalities. Oh, glory. Hallelujah. It is human nature not to like or associate with those who share views and life and live lifestyles that are diametrically opposed to ours. Being honest with you this morning, sometimes it is very difficult to love somebody who is addicted to drugs. It is very difficult to love someone who is an alcoholic because alcoholics sometimes do really bad things and it's difficult to love that person because of what they have done. I'm going to go one step further. Sometimes it is really difficult to love somebody who is in a homosexual relationship. We might stand against the sin, Brother Krause, but by God, we better never hate the person. We better love them, love them, love them, love them, love them, love them. 
until we're blue in the face and say, honey, I know where I was and I don't, I don't want you to end up there. And I'll pull you out of the pit of hell. I'll go wherever I, it, or wherever I need to go to make sure that you don't end up there. Because when I fall in love with Jesus, uh, something dramatically shifts in my life. Uh, and the way I perceive people changes. And all of a sudden, my eyes go for the lost. They're lost. They're dying. They're hurting. They have pain. I don't want them to have pain. Do you, do you realize if we would start to minister to each other, it's going to be all right. You're going to be all right. We started to lift one another up. He's going to come back. Don't you worry. He's going to come back. He's going to be better than he's ever been. You're not going to have to deal with the same stuff. You're not going to have to deal with the same pressure. Why? Because I was in prayer. And when I was in prayer, God touched me. And he told me, it's going to be okay. You can handle it. The burdens that you've been carrying, it's okay. It really is. God is going to take care of you, Amber. God is The weights that you have felt in the last month are going to lift off of you. Why? Because God loves you. The stuff that you've been dealing with, the issues that you've been having, they're just, they're, they're not going to, they're going to go away. Why? Because I was in prayer and God, and God told me something. If the body began to minister to the body and we begin to lift one another up and we begin to, to encourage one another and not cut down and not simply say, well, he said this or he did that. Well, I can't believe him but somehow begin to minister to one another. You want to know why you minister to other people? Because you love them. Because when I fall in love with Jesus, then I fall in love with what He is in love with. It's going to work out. It's going to be okay. Do you know how good that makes you feel? Somebody who just walks up to me and says, Bro, don't you worry. It's going to be all right. I'm like... Thank you. Thank you. Why? Why do I feel like that? Because somebody cared enough to be a part of my issue and my problem. But I should not sit around and wait for people to come to me. It is my job as a, as a Christian, as a, as a believer in Christ, to go to other people and to, to fill their needs. And when they're hurting, then I'm going to hurt with them. And when they're, when they're struggling, I'm going to struggle with them. There's something that is dramatically changing in the atmosphere of this church. I'm telling you right now, I, I, the, the way that, that, that we have been, the way that God has been moving in this place has just been, it's been dynamic. It, it, has been, it has been tremendous. And God is wanting somehow to change our mentality. Why? Because He loves us. And He's tired of us focusing on this, the things that don't matter. And He wants us to return to Him so, so we can focus on what He wants us to focus on. If you could all stand with me. I, I'm done early on purpose. I would like for five minutes somehow let's find a place of prayer and get in touch 
And somehow if God convicts you or God lays on your heart something that you need to, to give up, then be willing to give it up and see a result of what sacrifice does in your life. I'm not saying search for something you can sacrifice. I'm saying when God deals with you and somehow He says, this is what I want you to give up, just say, okay, I'll give it up for you, God, because you mean that much to me. You're more important than anything to me, God. I'll prove it to you. I'll show you how much you mean to me. I want you to know, God, that in this current world, possession is not more important than you. Just for a minute, I know it's, I know we don't have church tonight, guys, but I feel the Holy Ghost in this place. We could find a place to pray. And those of you that feel an urge to pray with someone else, their burdens, their hurts, I could somehow this morning our body just begin to minister to itself all over this place. Uh, parents pray for children. Children pray for parents. Somehow, some way this morning can the body begin to minister to the body. Come on, we're all going through things and we need some encouragement. Let's get back to where we need to be. In Jesus' name. Right now, everybody find a place of prayer. Find somebody to pray with, if you would, for just a few minutes. You'll be dismissed at 11.15. It's just in a few minutes. It's for a little while. Find somebody to pray with. Put your arm around them. Let them know that you love them. In the name of Jesus, I pray right now.